0: Daniel chapter number 4, if you're joining me there, Daniel chapter number 4. If you need a Bible, we have a few Bible there in front of you. I apologize, I did not uh, uh, find the page number, but it's Daniel chapter 4 in the Old Testament. And uh, we'll look at this passage, great story before us. But Daniel chapter 4, title of the lesson is this, A Wild Lesson Learned. And uh, I trust to will be encouragement to you and I this morning as we endeavor to worship our Lord and exalt God to His rightful position. For many of us, the animal world fascinates us, and maybe you like studying, watching animals. I know many of you do. You talk to me about watching animals maybe outside your back window or whatever the case may be. Some of you like shooting them, too, but you like watching them, and uh, you enjoy just uh, the fascination of it, and I think that's for many of us. Many children are and so forth. Uh, many, many moons ago when I was a kid, I remember, you know, watching things about uh, um, uh, animals. I, You have to forgive me. When you get older, young people, your memory kind of goes, and so I don't remember, it, but music mutual of Omaha. Does that sound familiar? And so forth. I remember watching that sometimes and the kids there, Jack Hanna and so forth, and then Jacques Cousteau in the ocean. And so uh, these folks talked about animals, didn't they? You got to learn all the different traits of animals. And uh, I liked it because I looked at it from creation. Boy, our God is an amazing creator, isn't he? And even today, uh, our children love animals and so forth. And that has morphed into uh, sometimes a- uh, children talk about what animal they would like to be. Okay. Uh, what animal and so forth. I remember when I was younger, I I wanted to be like a cheetah, you know, run fast and everything. I think today I'd be a sloth. But anyway... like, children like animals, Yeah, hey, I wish I could have this, I, lo- I wish I was like that, and so forth. And and boy, authors and movie directors picked up on that, and uh, we got all kinds of stories, even toys and movies about people changing into animals, right? And probably the most uh, familiar one will be a werewolf or something like that. And yet we know that is, and hate to burst your bubble, that's all fake, and uh, it's not real. It's not out there. Give me a real story. Daniel chapter 4, we have a story. We have a story of a powerful man that is changed into something like an animal. We don't know the full gamut. We don't know the full extent. But reality is he is described like an animal. Now, that ought to pique our interest right away. What, what went into this, and why did that happen, and why in the world did, I mean, did God do that? I mean, from the hand of God, a person changed into being like an animal. And then we have to ask the question that the title comes from. What lessons were learned through this? Now, immediately, if we hear this story, as we'll study it in Daniel chapter 4, the world's going to look at that, and they're going to laugh. They're going to scoff. They're going to say, that's just like Jonah and that big fish. That's just like that Noah and his ark. That's not real stories. It's allegorical. It's it, it's just a symbolic. It's just, it, it, those aren't real stories. You know, can I tell you, if God's word says it, that settles it. And and, and that is literally one of the lessons that uh, Nebuchadnezzar learns in this lesson. So let's start there. The reality is this, um, he comes to learn that lesson, that when God says it, it settles it. Now, the world balks at that, and that's not accepted in our world. In fact, if we were to be honest this morning, we are living in a world that is increasingly fashioned and established upon non truth Upon falsities, upon lies. We, the truth is difficult to find anymore, isn't it? It's not just me that's saying it, it's just not you. In fact, the world at large talks about it. We must wade through what? Fake news. You know, what's another word for fake? Non truth, <laughs> wrong, in error, lies. We have to wade through made-up headlines and twisting of reality, um, them making up stories. We have, to, we have to wade through fake science, false research, made-up statistics. I, I can't tell you how many articles I've read of, uh, of statistics that were given 10, 15 years ago, and now it's coming to light that they just made them all up. And yet people embraced it at the time. You know, we're making up research. We're making up statistics. We're inventing issues and problems. They've even fabricated fossils and archaeology finds. We're dealing with, and this is the one that gets under my skin, fake history. We rewrite history, historical events, to make them more appeasing and fitting for the politically correct paradigm now prevalent in our society. We want to make history suit our feelings. In our beliefs as opposed to letting it stand for what it says it's fake it's not it's not truth it's it's a lie it's it it goes against anything that we know and now we're dealing with fake morality you know what the morality of the world is today we will fight for and protect lions and tigers and bears more than we do human life oh my (laughs) oh my that's morality today so, boy, we are living in an upside-down world. We get it, and we understand. Uh, there is very little truth available to us today. Used to be where we could pick up. In my, the town that I grew up in, the paper was known as the Daily Journal. Used to be you could pick that up, and you could read it and think, oh, yeah, this is probably true. Can I tell you, it's scary to read a paper today. You don't know if you're reading truth or a flat-out lie. Fake news truth is hard to come by today you can't trust the media <laughs> you, you, when you re, what you read on the internet can't always be trusted newer history books could be full of biases and falsehoods uh, you, research is skewed by worldview biases political and financial influences to the point of presenting lies and untruths and don't get us started on what politicians say amen here's amazing You say, oh, Pastor Henry, you're just a fundamental, old kind of fashion kind of guy. You're just kind of, you're getting off on a tangent. No, reality is this, even the secular society agrees with us here. They say that we as a, as a society have moved from a postmodern society. What was postmodern? Postmodern society is known by their, uh, the idea of subjectivity. Everything's subject to my, uh, what I'm thinking. It's also relative, and it's also the idea of suspicion. We, sus- we are very suspicious of reasoning in a postmodern society. However, the fact is this. We have moved from a postmodern society, according to secular uh, culturists, they said we moved from a postmodern society to get this, a post truth society. Isn't that a great name to give yourself? We are post truth. Boy, oh boy. How is it defined? Well, here's just to help us out with this. I think this is crazy. It's amazing, but it's, it's rather interesting. Oxford Dictionary made post truth one of their words of the year in 2016, the dictionary did. And they defined it this way. Here's the definition. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. <laughs> take, a, take a moment to digest that one. So truth is no longer truth. What is truth? We're going to redefine it by what appeals to my emotions, my beliefs. Literally today, the fact is this, there are some areas and places in which I could walk into and I say, hey, you know, my last name's Henry, I believe I'm a chicken. You need to embrace that, because that's what I believe I am. You know what, we say, oh, that's silly. It's not so silly in America today, is it? We're just one step away from that, aren't we? When a girl can walk in and say, I'm a boy, a boy can walk in and say, I'm a girl, and we say, we have to accept that, though facts speak otherwise. It's not a political issue. Don't don't sit there and say, oh, Pastor, you're getting political. I'm not getting political, I'm getting moral. We're talking biblical things here. And the reality is truth is under attack. And when the world says we're in a post-truth society and culture, I have to agree with them. Because no one wants to hear the truth anymore. They want a reason from truth. They don't want logic. They don't want to present it presented to the reality, what the facts say, what truth says. And say, Pastor Henry, what does that have to do with here in Nebuchadnezzar? It has a whole lot to do because that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had to come learn. That what God says, that settles it. See, to Nebuchadnezzar, everything around him spoke that I have a, I, I've gotten myself this great power, this great majesty. I've done this for me. It's all about me and so forth. And God had to remind him of the truth. God is in control of everyone's life, of everyone's kingdom, of the whole earth. And when God says something, that settles it. And it needs to be something that you embrace I embrace a mindset that we adopt and embrace daily, no matter what we read, no matter what we hear, what we see in the world around us. Faith in God always includes faith in God's Word as the authority for all truth. We call ourselves Baptists. It's not by accident. It's not by some uh, elitist mentality. No, Baptist. we often will say the B stands for the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. It is the truth, the foundation for what we believe. And my friend, if that is so, if that is true, the fact is this, everything we hear and we read and all the outward things that that, that are distractions but are influences, we've got to say, no, 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 I'm standing with this. I'm sticking to the truth of God's Word. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, boy, he becomes unpopular in a sense because of where he establishes God to be. I love what Paul said, and I think you and I need to embrace this daily with every direction or every step we take to Christ's return in the rapture. We ought to say this daily, we ought to join Paul what he said in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. He is truth. We'll stick to it. Nebuchadnezzar finds it out. Look at verse 1 of Daniel chapter 4 with me. Nebuchadnezzar is the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I love this statement, verse 2. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. We are talking about a pagan leader here. This ought to pique our interest. Notice it. How great are his signs? How mighty are his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his Dominion is from generation to generation. I want you to first note, do you see what kind of testimony this is? This is an international testimony. Uh, the Babylonians were huge at this point and had a huge swath of, uh, of the property, we might say, in all the world. Their, their kingdom was spread. They had conquered Israel and many other nations. They were, they were certainly the biggest nation civilization in the world at that time. And here he is proclaiming internationally this testimony. He's sharing with the world, don't miss it, what God has done in his life. And aren't some of the best testimonies what God has done in our life? So when we read this, we're like, wow, Nebuchadnezzar is sharing exactly what God did and what God taught him. And may I say this, I think if you want to describe Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, this is what happened. I think it's a great description. His life was turned upside down so his understanding could be turned right side up. Okay, that's literally what happens. We get into this story, and God turns him out into the wild like an animal. Whoa, what in the world? It's so his understanding could get right side up. He would realize these truths that we'll talk about today, what we've already seen thus far. What was the understanding? Well, he does present it to us in these first few verses. Things that he takes to heart. Number one is this. He esteems God, and did you catch it? As the high God. He is supreme. He is above all other gods. I want to submit to you today that you have gods in your life. I say, Pastor Henry, did you see my Buddha statue? No, I didn't. Okay, I'm not talking about gods like that. But can I tell you, you have a self, a flesh, an old nature that wants to be God. It wants to sit on the throne. And it's going to fight for it every day. Even after you're saved, he's going to fight to get on the throne to be big G God. Your flesh, your old nature. And that's why we are so very much looking forward to Christ's return. Gaining heaven and losing this old sinful nature once and for all. That has been defeated, no doubt. But it's there still nipping at our heels. Trying to get control and gain back. Nebuchadnezzar makes an astounding statement here. He is great and mighty, his wonders and his sign. We would put it this way. Here's what he's describing, uh, one of these truths that he came to the realization of. God in heaven is alone worthy of the highest praise and glory. It seems like a simple statement to us, but do you realize that everything in the world today, the flesh and the devil and everything else wants to remove God, wants to take him from his rightful place? And the devil wants that in your life, in my life. Nebuchadnezzar came and realized there's no God like Jehovah God, that he alone is worthy to be called the high God, esteemed as great and mighty in all his doings. It's a great admission from someone whose pride and ego were so large. The old Nebuchadnezzar was all about himself, and it certainly got him in trouble. Understand this, the Babylonians had a multiplicity of God's you we went into Babylonia, and they had all kinds of gods. In fact, in their story, their gods fought, fought against each other, and there was one Murdoch that uh, came and was on top. So that was their great god. But do you see what the king of Babylon is saying? <laughs> Forget all of those gods. There's one high god, and he is the god of heaven. It's an amazing statement, and it begs the question, what brought the king of Babylon, a most wicked place, what brought him to decree that? Before we get to the story, notice the second thing that he says in this statement. Do you catch the word dominion? See, what he's saying here is simply this God is in charge of everything. He rules and reigns over everything. Nothing falls outside of God's purview. He rules and reigns over all. He alone has the dominion, his kingdom alone. And did you catch it? From generation to generation. He's not talking, well, it's just lasting from this generation. No, no. He's saying it's from generation to generation to generation to generation and so forth. It's eternal. Nebuchadnezzar realized, I am I, I'm just human. My kingdom's going to fall apart. In fact, that's part of what the dream says. It's going to fall apart. It's not going to last forever. But God's kingdom is eternal. Man, a pagan king realizing that the God of heaven is ruler of all, no matter what man may think, you can be certain that Nebuchadnezzar had people around him saying, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're gonna rule forever. Yours is the greatest rule in the reign. And in this statement, he's saying, no, 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 no. Don't forget there is a God in heaven. There's the most high God that rules over all. You see, here he is, Nebuchadnezzar. Allowing God to be God in his life. A problem that plagues all mankind. We have a pagan king espousing that God in heaven is king and Lord of all and allowing him to say, you know what? I I have a God I answer to. There is a God who is even greater and more powerful than me. I'm probably the most powerful king in, in all the world today, and I have a God that I answer to. I have a king, a ruler that I fall under. And may I say, that's really what plagues most humans today, isn't it? We don't allow God to be God in our lives. He doesn't have complete rule and reign. We don't think on a daily basis that I have to answer to him. What I do at work and what I do in my home and in my marriage and, and, and how, I re, uh, how I react and respond and how I interact with somebody, I have to answer to God Almighty for it. And, and boy, doesn't Nebuchadnezzar find that to be true? And that's really where these truths are coming from, this reality that in every situation, I have a God that is above me, that is in charge of everything, and I have to answer to him. Notice verse 4 and 5. Let's see how it happened. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So he has a dream. It's a troubling dream. And and I think, no doubt, is the Holy Spirit pricking his heart, telling him that there's a warning and truth for him to have here. He doesn't know the meaning of it. It bothers him tremendously. And so what does he do? He calls the so-called wise men of the land, his astrologers, his his soothsayers, the Scripture says here. They are the magicians, and yet they all failed. They couldn't give him the interpretation of it. Uh, We don't know what that means. But isn't that true about the world and God's Word? they really can't make heads or tails of it, can they? They really can't understand it. We know the Bible says the carnal mind cannot comprehend scriptures. So the fact is this, it's a great truth, and so what does he have to do? He has to call the one guy that he knows is going to be able to do something about the word from God, and that's the man of God. He calls Daniel, Belteshazzar, And he calls him into his presence and says, Daniel, I need you to help me with this. I need you to help me understand what this dream is all about. I believe it to be from God, and I I need to know what it means. So he does just that. Look at verse number 9, if you will, with me. Oh, Belteshazzar, that's uh, Daniel's name here in Babylon. Babylon. Master of the magicians, because I know that that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, no secret trouble with thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. Thus were the visions of mine head and my bed. So he's going to tell us what he saw. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and then the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. And the beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs the, the thereof, excuse me, and all flesh was fed of it. Verse 13: I saw the vision of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, and notice this statement, and a holy one come down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus: Hew down the tree. Cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from a man's. And let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him. Verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, to the intent. Here's the purpose. That the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? Hey, now, now get this. Here, here, here's a great statement we understand. He, he says it's from the most high. It's identifying that, hey, this is a message from God. This is God's word. This is the God of heaven speaking to him. And here's what he's going to learn. Let's add to the addition of what he's learning, the lessons learned. Here's another one. The reality is this. When God speaks, not only does it settle it, but you would better heed it. Okay, so he's setting the ground here in this vision, God is, in this dream and as Daniel's giving the interpretation, he says listen, hey, hey, Nebuchadnezzar you better pay attention because when God speaks, not only does that settle it but you better pay attention and heed it. You better obey it. You better do it. You better put it into practice. You better say that's good. That's truth and I need that in my life. And Daniel does just that. He gives him the interpretation of it. We'll see it play out in a moment. But then he looks at nebuchadnezzar and look what he says in verse number 22 i think this is great notice it he says this here's the interpretation it is thou O king he's speaking of the the tree that art grown and become strong for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and notice the description of the kingdom of nebuchadnezzar and thy dominion to the end of the earth let's stop there a second what does that do for nebuchadnezzar you talk about an ego boost. Man, my kingdom is as high as the heaven. It, it, it's a, it's a dominion over all the earth. I mean, this is what he wants to hear. Man, and why, why was I troubled about this? Why was I bothered about this dream and this vision and this, this thing? Man, he is, he's excited. He is, hey, this is great. But there's more concerning that last part, isn't there? Look at verse 24. Daniel goes on. He says, this is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which is come upon my Lord, the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will." Notice verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that, thou shalt have known that the heavens do. What's the next word? Rule. God rules and reigns over all. Here's the lesson. He's teaching him and expounding upon him. Some kind of prophecy, isn't it? It's, it's an out there statement. Here's what's amazing to me. Daniel doesn't balk at it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I don't know about, uh, seems far-fetched. Yeah, hey, hey, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, it must be an allegory. No, that's not what he says. He says, listen, this is going to happen to you. You're going to be turned out. You're going to be like a beast. You're going to eat grass. Could you imagine what the king's looking at him like? What is wrong with you, Daniel? What is going on in that head? Of y- Are you serious? And now, oh, I'm very serious, because God has spoken, and that settles it. And then he gets to this point. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, go and sin no more. You better take God's word to heart, Nebuchadnezzar. You better get your heart right before God, before this comes true, before this befalls you. Look at verse 27. It's a great statement. Wherefore, O king? Listen, king, here's the application. Here's what you've got to do in response. Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and notice this statement, and break off my sins or thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. And notice this little glimpse of hope, if it may be a lengthening Of thy tranquility. Man, what a statement. He comes to me and says, listen, you need to break off your sins, O king. This is God speaking of judgment upon you and taking away your kingdom for a time. And he's going to turn you out like an animal so that you are reminded that you did not make yourself what you are. God made you what you are. God is in charge. Man, as he makes that statement, he says, listen, Daniel, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, you... Break off thy sins. And here's that statement. The lengthening of thy tranquility. Our normal word for tranquility, we could say, is peace. Now, I want to ask you something in your life today. Do you have peace? And if you do, don't you want it to continue? Heed God's Word. You're sitting here today, Pastor Henry, I don't have much peace in my life. The first question you've got to ask is this. What sins do I need to break off from today? What sins are there in my life, in my marriage, and in my my home, and in my relationship with somebody at work, and and in my private life? Are there some sins that if God were to speak to me like he did Nebuchadnezzar today, and as he does through his word and the Holy Spirit today, and he says to me, what would be some sins that I need to break off? What would be some things in my life that he is warning me about this morning that are going to come to roost in my life that I need to break off, that aren't pleasing to God? When I really hold my life up to the inspection of the Word of God, what's falling short? If the Holy Spirit could have an audible voice this morning, what sins would He tell me to break off of this morning? Maybe, just maybe, there's someone here this morning, the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. You're in sin. Maybe no one knows about it. And you need to stop sinning because the judgment of God has already begun to fall. Or it's going to fall very soon. And God's going to humble you. He's going to bring you back to this simple truth that He has come to understand God is in charge of everything. And if you, as a child of God, are sinning, as you, someone who, who God wants to do right, are not doing right, my friends, God will move heaven and earth to bring you to righteousness. He will. Let me put it another way. You want a lesson that he learned is this. You're never out of the reach of the consequences of your sin. Nebuchadnezzar, oh, wait, I, I'm the king, the, the greatest ruler of the greatest nation. And I, I, no one can touch me. <laughs> God can touch anyone, anytime. And it is a thought and a reality that we ought to not soon forget. It does not matter how great you are, how famous you are, how much authority you have, how powerful you think you are, your sin's consequences will find you. It does not matter how hard you've worked to try to hide it. It does not matter that you alone know about your sin. It does not matter. You are never out of the reach of the consequences of your sin. There is a biblical verse that teaches it. If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. God's Word, simple truth and reality, Nebuchadnezzar was being told by Daniel, King, I'm part of your kingdom, I want it to flourish, I want it to go well. You need to heed God's Word, you need to break off your sins, have mercy upon the poor, and perchance your tranquility will be lengthened you will get back to that peace or enjoy the peace that you're experiencing now. So he's heard the word of God and now it's up to him as it is with all of us to decide whether we heed it. And here's the same thing uh, that happens with Nebuchadnezzar that often happens with many of us. What is that? Well, when we hear God's word, if we don't make that decision to heed it and also to rehearse it, a, a continual daily rehearsing in our hearts and our minds, and we don't apply it to our lives on that daily basis, what happens? We soon forget it. And the impact that God's Word, that He designed it to have in our lives, is minimized or it's completely absent. See, this is where we're at often in our walk with the Lord in our Christian life. We'll hear something. We'll read something in our devotions, and yeah, that's good. Man, I need that. And revival, and teen camp, and, and a message, at a, at a service. We hear it, and God speaks to our heart. and Man, I need that, and I need to change that. And, and God's Word is given to us, and yet... A day or two later, we, we're we not rehearsing it like we ought to. We're not going back and saying, man, this is what God spoke to me yesterday. This is what God spoke to me in revival, and, and I need to continue at that. I need to continue to commit and put that in my life. Rehearsing it, and then we don't apply it to our lives. You know what happens? We, quit, we soon forget it. We, we forget it. It's no longer impacting its influence. It's not what it ought to be, what God designed it to be. So it was with Nebuchadnezzar. But as a grand reminder, we ought not ever to think that God's word loses power. That it doesn't do what it says. That it can't change our lives. But rather, we are the one that falters in heeding it, rehearsing it, and applying that. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 28. All this came upon the king of Nebuchadnezzar. Really? It came true. Yes. Look at verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he lasted a little while. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Notice verse 30. It is the quintessential backsliding verse. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? You know what we say there? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody didn't learn the lesson. God has given him a clear warning. And I want to ask you, what's God warning you about today? What's sin in your life? What is it in your life that does not match up to God and his word? And God's sending a warning out, a shot over the bow, as we like to describe it. What is he saying to you today? Because that's exactly what he did to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar didn't learn. Here he is in all of his ego, his pride, I have built it. It's my power. It's my majesty. Now, do you see the two Nebuchadnezzars here? This doesn't sound like the Nebuchadnezzar of verse 1, 2, and 3. Because that's the, that's the new one. That's the one who's gone through this. And he's saying, listen, I realize God is on high, but this is the old Nebuchadnezzar. The old Nebuchadnezzar who was God of his own life, and may I put it this way, do not miss it. This was the Nebuchadnezzar that loved himself more than he loved God. This was the Nebuchadnezzar that said, listen, what I've done, I've done. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I have achieved it all. I have accomplished it all. It is all about me. This is the one who is the God of his own life. He credited himself with everything he accomplished. And, boy, verse 31 is great. Look at it. While the word (laughs) was still in the king's mouth. Can I tell you, as a parent, there's nothing better than finding your kids red-handed. There's nothing better than finding their hand in the cookie jar. Uh, there really isn't. I mean, that's like, gotcha. The words are still in his mouth. And what happens? <laughs> Their fellow voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Can you just hear that tone there? I'm sorry if I read into it, but, Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. Man, that voice of a parrot <laughs> that strikes fear, and oh no, I'm caught. Voice from heaven that does it here for Nebuchadnezzar. O oh, king, you heard the truth. It was given to you. Now it's going to come true. Look at verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. D- does this sound familiar? until thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You know what I love about God? Our God is the greatest teacher ever. You know what he does? He continually gives us the lesson. He makes what he wants for us today very clear. It is not a God of chaos. He is not a God of confusion. He is not a God of you got to guess what the lesson is. Not at all. Our God, at least three times in this passage, tells Nebuchadnezzar, you need to learn something. The most high ruleth in heaven. And you answer to him. And he sets up whoever he so chooses. And he, the basis of men, listen, you aren't anything apart from what God has done in your life, Nebuchadnezzar. He repeats it several times. Look at verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till uh, his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claw. Man, what a statement. It's an amazing story, isn't it? He literally changed into something. Now listen, there's all kinds of uh, conjecture and theories about what it was. Was he actually changed into an animal or was he more of a madman that this just was unkept and looked like an animal? Uh, it doesn't it isn't perfectly clear i don't know exactly but i do know this this is a pretty cool story isn't it it's a pretty good story. Here he is. He goes. Listen, you're going out. He goes out. And what do we know about him? Well, the wild Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what we know. He had long hair. And in, in the Hebrew, it seems to give the idea of maybe even fur or feathers. In fact, some of the rabbinical statements and interpretation, they think that it was like the mane of a lion. That his hair grew so thick and so wide and and so forth. And uh, there's some conjecture that he was on all fours and things like that. His fingernails and his toenails grew into claws like a bird or lion. If you have that today, don't show me. Okay. And uh, but that's what it, They grew, and they were like claws. It says like the I mean, They were literally like claws. And then what do we know? Boy, he ate grass. I don't know about you, but I sure am glad he wasn't a carnivore. That would be a little awkward afterwards, wouldn't it? Who knows? This may be the newest biblical fad diet, just eating grass. Who knows? Anyway, he ate grass. What a description. I mean, could you imagine? Now, listen. Here's what's amazing. It says that it'll pass over seven. Most theologians believe that was seven years I could, I would not argue if you said it was seven days. But I'll tell you this. I don't want to live for an animal for one minute. So seven days or seven years, seven weeks, whatever the case may be, the reality is judgment has fallen. His world is turned upside down. And I think here's the worst part of it. You know what I like about being a human? Besides free will and can eat, whatever, anyway. <laughs> I like having logic and reasoning, a mind to think. Do you realize what it said? It described him in both in the dream specifically that he had an animal's heart instead of a human's heart. Now I don't think literally. I think you could easily see this from scriptures. It wasn't that God reached down, took out his human heart, and put in an animal's heart—the literal beating organ. That's not really what it's referring to. It's likely meaning the fact that he would have the nature and mind of an animal. That it would be absent of reasoning and logic of beyond the basics afforded to animal instinct by God. Literally, what are animals governed by? They're governed and ruled by animal senses and instincts. Literally, you know what he's saying to Nebuchadnezzar? Listen, I have the ability to make you the king of the greatest nation. I also have the ability to make you act like a dog. I've told you before, one of the grossest statements or one of the grossest things I've ever seen is when the Bible talks about a dog going back to his own vomit and eating it. What if, anyway, we won't go there. But do you see what he's saying to him? I can put you here. And I can put you here. And I will do so if it takes that to teach you a lesson. A lesson that's for your good, for your best. Amazing statement. Amazing reality. Sometimes we flirt with sin, don't we? Sometimes we allow sin in the camp. We allow a little bit of sin in our lives in one area or the other, and we think we're okay. We think, well, just fine. Can I tell you that God in heaven is still the same God that was God of Nebuchadnezzar? And if Nebuchadnezzar's pride and egotistical sin... Drew God's attention. You better believe a child of God who nurtures sin in his life or her life will draw God's attention. And God is not beyond. In fact, God is so loving that he would be glad. He would gladly, lovingly bring you down to the level of a dog. It would help you to learn the lesson of turning to God. Repenting of your sin. He did it for Nebuchadnezzar. A foreign king. It's an amazing story that he would be like an animal, if not an animal, a man, man behaving as such for seven years. King of likely the greatest nation of the time, like a cow or a lion, roaming around aimlessly, all to teach him this lesson that was three times repeated until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. C- can I just boil it down to a simple statement? You say, okay, how do we put that in our modern terminology? What, what, what is the principle that God is teaching here? It's really this. See, whether you are a great leader or a run-of-the-mill person, you are what you are but by the will and grace of God. See, Paul writes that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, the, the first part. We are what we are, but by the grace of God. Paul, uh, God is teaching that to Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, you are what you are, but by the will and the grace of God. Never lose sight of that. Never forget it. Now, look at verse 34. We're on the other end of it, right? We're on the other end of the story. He says this. Here is Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's telling the story, man. What a great story. Our eyes are open. We're in awe of this great story Nebuchadnezzar has told. He lifted up mine eyes into heaven. And my understanding, so that tells us he was absent of the normal human reasoning. My understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. Now, that's quite a change, isn't it? Because the verse we read is all about me and I. He says, I bless the Most High, and I praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Man, this is a whole different Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? I would say his jungle safari worked. His life, like an animal, out in the world, remind him, wait a minute, I'm a nobody and God is everything. God is everything. At the same time, my reason returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom. Mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my lords sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom. Don't miss it. God's word came true and excellent majesty was added unto me. Verse 37, he ends it with this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Man, what a testimony! That's just, we will often hear salvation testimonies similar in the sense of this someone just indulged in sin just on the brink of a life in which, they, boy, they were headed the wrong. Destruction was right around the corner and, boy, maybe even death. And for some, maybe they were flirting with taking their own life and suicide because things were just terrible and discouraging and full of sorrow and heartache. And, and, and it's at those moments that they came and turned to Christ after living their own way and going their own way. And those are great testimonies like that. That, that is a fantastic testimony. But I may I submit to you, the best testimony of all if someone to never have gone through that. You know what would have been best to hear in this chapter? Nebuchadnezzar, after that vision was given, Nebuchadnezzar falling on his knees in his face before God and simply saying what King David said, I have sinned. I have done wrong. God, you don't have to take this kingdom from me. You don't have to turn me out like an animal. I am ready to repent and forsake, and I am ready to do right in acknowledge you are the king of all heaven and of all earth now we are blessed with a pretty fascinating amazing story but it would have been so much better if he just simply responded to the word of god that he didn't need all that to happen they didn't need to be turned out like an animal that he didn't need to go to that extent remember god does work in our lives he always wants the best for us Without certainly compromising our free will, He is going to work in a wondrous way. He wants us to enjoy His ways of life and liberty and blessings, and therefore He is going to do do what it takes to bring us to the realization and choosing of what is best for us. We choose our response. Now I want to ask you this question, and as we go to the invitation, I want you to think about this. What is God going to have to do in your life to help you remember every day that He rules and reigns? That you will answer to him, that your sin will be discovered and the consequences will fall, and that he alone is on the throne and should be obeyed and heeded as such. Wouldn't it be better to avoid God having to use drastic means in our life to root out sin? I mean, wouldn't it be so much better if you and I said, you know what, there there is an area, maybe just my attitude hasn't been right. Maybe there's some things I've allowed in, and and, and whatever the case, whatever the area, that I've allowed in sin. Boy, you know what? God takes sin serious. If he's willing to take the king of Babylon and turn him out like an animal just to teach him a lesson about pride and the sin of pride, boy, how much more does God care about us? He loves us as his children, and the Bible declares that he will chasten us. So how much better for you and I to take a moment this morning and evaluate, take inventory? What are some things in my life that might not be pleasing to God that I don't want to come home to roost? Because what is the reality of any sin we harbor in our life? It's pride. We think we rule our life. That God in heaven can't really touch me. That I have the right to rule and reign in my life. See, a child of God that realizes that God is on the throne, he is still on the throne, and he will ever be on the throne, is a child of God that doesn't want any sin in the camp. No sin in my life. I don't want anything here. I want to be 100% right before God. You know how we avoid that drastic reality? It's that certain truth, but it's these simple facts and lessons we take to heart. When God says it, that settles it. God in heaven is alone and worthy of the highest praise and glory. God is in charge of everything. And when God speaks, not only does that settle it, but I'm going to heed it. And then I remind myself daily, I am never out of the reach of the consequences of my sin. May God challenge you and I through the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we have uh, gleaned from it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's guiding and directing in this message, this sermon, and in our lives. And Lord, I, I pray we be honest this morning. Lord, may, may our lives be an open page before you for your spirit to point out some areas and places and ways in which we have sinned. Maybe we're harboring sin, and we haven't forsaken, it. and Lord God, you in heaven there in charge of everything, ruler and king of heaven and earth, boy, you want our lives to be free of sin. So may you point, put your finger on it this morning. Well, we certainly don't want to have a history, a testimony like Nebuchadnezzar had. We want to be a Christian who has gone so far into sin that you have to do something drastic in our lives to bring us back. My Father, I pray that you'd speak to every heart this morning. Lord, be with the Christian who right now, this moment, is fighting with you. There's sin in their life. They know it. And yet, Father, they are unwilling and unyielding to make it right. May they understand that you love them. And in that love, you will chasten them. So, Father, I pray as they've heard the word of God this morning, may they just simply submit. May they repent. May they forsake. And, Lord, may that time of tranquility last. They enjoy the peace that comes from knowing there's nothing between my Savior and me. Heads bowed and eyes closed.